0: Where is God in our pain? That's a question often asked as we go through and experience pain and suffering. Where is God in my pain? Where is God in my loneliness? Where is God when I'm depressed? Where is God in my isolation? Where is God in my anxiety? Where is God in my illness? Where is God when I'm facing these physical challenges and limitations? Where is God in my heartache when relationships are collapsing? Where is God in my pain? When Johnny Erickson Tata was left a paraplegic in a tragic diving accident, she later upon reflection wrote these words about the days after her incident. When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby ending my misery. I'd rather die. That's how many people feel. I'd rather die than face another day of suffering. I'd rather die than face another day of this illness. I'd rather die than face another day of this emotional emptiness. I'd rather die than face another day of this anxiety or depression. I'd rather die than continue to live with these physical limitations. I'd rather die. Many people around our world feel that way continually. And as many are ravaged by the continual devastating effects of COVID-19, they're finding themselves not just facing the regular suffering which has ensued, but this added and multiplied upon them. And as we face suffering, sometimes we ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this occurring? Why is God allowing this? Why? C.S. Lewis wrote these words years ago. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains in his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So I take you to Judah today, the Southern kingdom of Israel, to 586 BC, to a time when Judah had thought that they were on top of the world and undefeatable. Now, having been sieged for two years, knowing that they're about to be defeated at the hands of their enemies, the Babylonians. The Babylonians have come and they've taken siege of Israel. For two years they've done so, leaving it in desolation, leaving it in utter disaster. Israel, or Judah now, is there, the southern kingdom, knowing that their enemy is about to defeat them. And you could only imagine what a two-year siege would do. I mean, we've experienced the effects of a pandemic where toilet paper ran out quickly where people began to price gouge and to hoard over supplies that would be readily available. Imagine if we faced a true crisis where there was a siege upon Canada, where everything that was imported or exported was cut off, where waterways were shut down, resources were unable to get to us. Imagine if we faced a siege of that level. In their city, there was devastation, there was famine, there was starvation, there was hunger, there was rape, there was cannibalism. All of that was going on as this siege continued to ensue. And finally the Babylonians came in and they ransacked the city. They destroyed the temple, they destroyed the wall, they destroyed the homes, and they brought thousands and thousands and thousands of people into exile. And the book of Lamentations is credited to Jeremiah the prophet by most Jewish scholars and Christian scholars, shortly after the siege, shortly after Babylon came in and ransacked under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's walking through the city, looking at its utter devastation, crying out to God in lament. The first four chapters of the book are an acrostic based on the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters. The last chapter is Similar, but not based on the Hebrew alphabet, not an acrostic, but still poetic. And you find the climax of this book occurs in chapter 3. So in verse 1, just a few words, it starts in chapter 1, verse 1, with how. How. The book actually doesn't have a title. The book is titled How. That's the big title of the book. How, God. How. How desolate lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Notice the contrast here. The city that was full is desolate. The queen is now a widow. The one that was great is now a slave. So bitterly she weeps at night. The author here, Jeremiah, has personified the city and granted her to be this wonderful female who's now experiencing the devastating effects and lamenting. This bustling commercial center, this capitalist society filled with hopes and dreams for every entrepreneur was now gone. Dreams were dashed, hopes were squandered, and the nation, or the focal point of the nation's worship, the temple, had been desolated and destroyed. He continues, the roads to Zion more, no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, she is in bitter anguish. Then he talks about reversal of roles in verse 5. Her foes have become her masters. The very people she thought she would enslave, she was now in slavery too. Her enemies are at ease. We don't have to worry. We've taken care of them. The Lord has brought her grief for her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. Jeremiah is clear here that the desolation of Jerusalem, the desolation of Judah, is a direct punishment for their sin. The Lord has brought them grief because of her many sins. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and has so become unclean. All who despised her, they have seen her naked. She groans, turns away. Her filthiness clings to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Judah, after the rain, of David and then Solomon and the split of the kingdom between northern and southern kingdom had a great deal of kings that ruled in their stead, but the majority of whom were evil, some of whom about eight were good, righteous kings. And in that mix, the kings and the prophets kept pleading with Judah, turn back to the Lord, turn back to the Lord, or his righteousness will produce his wrath. Turn back to the Lord or his righteousness will produce his wrath. He was long-suffering through many kings and generations. And yet, he finally brought his discipline upon his people to turn them back to him. I need to pause there for a moment because our suffering is not always a direct result of our sin. Our suffering is always a result of sin, but not always our sin. Let me explain. When Jesus and his disciples in John 9 come across a man who's been born blind, his disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents that he be born blind? Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the glory of God could be displayed in his life. Jesus says to the disciples, you have a wrong assumption. This isn't about pointing the finger as to whether or not he sinned or whether or not his parents sinned. In fact, in this case, Jesus said neither. This has simply happened so that today God's glory may be displayed. And the glory of God that would be displayed that day would be a healing not just from physical blindness, but from spiritual blindness. Christ would not only heal his eyesight, but heal his heart. So that he could see. And the man himself will proclaim that later in testimony to neighbors, friends, families, and the Pharisees. So sometimes there's suffering in the world because of our sin. Occasionally suffering happens because of something someone has done. Someone chooses by way of a, of a, of a drug addiction right, to continue to consume and to abuse their body. And the suffering they face in later years is a direct result of the abuse of their body in earlier years. Sometimes our suffering is due to other people. Other people, oppressing people, when people take people out of their greed and selfishness, enslave them in other parts of the world. As you know, today, there are more slaves in our world than ever before in human history. More slaves in our world today than ever before in human history. And through the greed of our nations, the consumerism of our day, children, men, women are enslaved so that we can purchase whatever we want at a lower cost because people are in slave labor. And so sometimes suffering happens because of the sin of others. And sometimes there's suffering just because there's sin. There's a tsunami, there's an earthquake, there's cancer. And it's simply because the sin of the world that we caused in the Garden of Eden has spiraled this world to such a state that it's, its effects are that sin will cause suffering. So sometimes sin is a direct result, or suffering is a direct result of our sin. Sometimes it's a result of oppression, someone sitting against us. And sometimes it happens just because we live in a sinful world. And as we looked at last week, when we looked at Luke 13, Jesus is actually clear. It's not for us to even speculate about why something happened to so and so but to make sure we're in right relationship with God the verses continue verse 10 the enemy laid hands on all her treasures she saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary those you had forbidden to enter her assembly all her people groan as they search for bread as they barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive look Lord and consider for I am despised the city is a heap of rubble. It's been burned to the ground. The temple's been destroyed. The walls has been destroyed. Houses have been destroyed. Thousands of people have been exiled to Babylon. And as Jeremiah walks through, he remembers, we couldn't even enter into the Holy of Holies. Jeremiah couldn't even enter into the Holy of Holies. But God's enemies did as a mockery to him and they ransacked his temple to the very presence of their God. They entered the sanctuary, the assembly that they were forbidden to be a part of, they went into. And now he said, we're left here and people have taken whatever treasure they have left and they barter it for food because there's no commerce left, there's no economy. It's reminiscent of just a couple of weeks ago, I saw this caption where someone was paying for something online and it said, do you want to pay by Visa, by MasterCard? Or by toilet paper those are the three choices by visa by mastercard or by toilet paper and that's what they're doing they're taking whatever they have left that's treasured and saying i'll 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 give this up for food this is my family heirloom that the babylonians never found this is something that has meant something to our family for decades generations that no one discovered and will trade it for food verse 5 of chapter 2. and so the lord is like an enemy he swallowed up israel He swallowed up her high places. He destroyed her strongholds. He's multiplied mourning and lamentation for the daughters of Judah. Have you ever felt that way? It's God who's against us. He's become like an enemy. It can be easy to feel that way when suffering upon suffering piles up. I remember when Amy and I had the twins, Jewel and Ivy. And at first, in the early weeks of pregnancy, we were diagnosed with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, where Amy would feed one twin, that twin would feed the other twin. They needed to be monitored with three ultrasounds or so a week to make sure that the one twin hadn't stopped feeding the other twin. Because in most cases, when that happens, it sends the other twin into shock. That twin would die, thus causing the twin that was feeding her to die, thus causing shock even on Amy's body and ramifications. So ultrasound after ultrasound after ultrasound was taken. The twins were pulled out at 29 weeks with a C-section. One pound, 13 ounces, two pounds, and nine ounces. And we discovered shortly after they were born, we were unable to touch them, even with gloves on for the first couple of weeks. As we were going through all of that, Amy then developed some type of rash. They didn't know what it was, so she was banned from going into the neonatal unit. So just a few days after the girls were born, when the doctors have said they don't think they'll live, we're unable to touch them. She can't go in. Then shortly after that ivy shed her skin twice like a snake would they had no explanation for it sometimes it happens once scalded skin disease they'd never seen it happen twice you never want to hear in a hospital we've never seen this before and then as that continued we found out that they had a rare virus in them cmv one that most of us carries on we carry on us but this virus was neurological in nature it was in their spinal fluid and so it would create blindness it would create deafness, and it would create diminished mental capacity up to age seven. They had a vaccine they could give them. The vaccine would fight the virus, but the vaccine 100% would give them cancer. So we chose not to give the vaccine. And then at about age two, IV's hearing in one ear went from a, a higher range of hearing to completely profoundly deaf, and we knew that the virus was having an effect on them. All kinds of tests the girls went through. And as all of that happened, it's easy to question, where is God? And even to think, has he turned his hand against us? Has he become our enemy? Verse 14 of chapter 2. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were, were false and misleading. He said, your spiritual leaders lied to you. They did not care for you the way they should One of the reasons why at houston street we long to be spiritual caregivers who are anchored in the word who take the word proclaim the word explain the word extrapolate the word this is our guide not just our thoughts our ideas what has god said and how do we understand it verse 20 so look lord and consider whom whom have you ever treated like this god whoever you ever done this to have you even done this to our enemies He talks about the reversal of roles here as women are eating their offspring, the children that they should have cared for. He's saying as they're dying, they're actually cooking and consuming their own children in order to survive. Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord, they become the sacrifices in the very place where they should be sacrificing. And then he transitions from chapter 1 and 2 where Jeremiah has personified the city of Jerusalem as the one who's speaking, and he talks about himself as a prophet. Verse one, And so I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Notice, he's clear. The Lord has done this. It's his wrath against us. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness other than light. Notice again, the reversal of kingdom principles. We're walking in darkness rather than light. Verse three, Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. His hand is against them instead of extended to invite them. The hand of invitation is no longer there. He has made my skin and my flesh to grow old. He has broken my bones instead of renewing them like he renews the youth. They're growing old. Their bones are broken. And even when I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked instead of straight. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, God has dragged me from the path. He has mangled me. He's left me without help. That's how Jeremiah feels. As he looks through the desolation, that's what he's crying out. Just pause there for a moment. Do you know it's okay to lament? Do you know that as Jeremiah brought this before the Lord, he wasn't sinning? It's okay to cry out to God in anguish. It's okay to howl to him. God, where are you? It's okay to grieve loss that you're experiencing and going through. A lament is a prayer of pain, but it never ends there. It's a prayer of pain that trusts in the God of hope. A lament is a prayer of pain that trusts in the God of hope. That's what lament is. And so Jeremiah goes on and he says this, Oh, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of my gall. Verse 20, chapter 3. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he have hope in? His unchanging God. He has hope in his unchanging God. He knows his God will not change. He has hope in his God's covenant of love because it's based On God's faithfulness and based on God's promise. So, note verse twenty-two: God's unending mercy, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail; they are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. These verses are tucked right here in the middle of Jeremiah's lament in Jeremiah, and sorry, in Lamentations three. And sometimes you'll see these verses painted as a portrait between. Two mountains with a valley in between, with some tranquil scene. You'll see this incredibly peaceful scene, and the scene will have written at the bottom, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This should be written at the bottom of a picture the day after a tsunami. This should be written on the most devastating day of COVID-19 when the streets are empty and bare. When more people have suffered than ever before, this is when this can be written. God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't left us. He is the unchanging God who is faithful in his covenant love. And because of that, because of the Lord's great love, because God is love, we are not consumed. That is great news. Our suffering is to point us to righteousness and salvation. We haven't been consumed because God's not done with us yet. We haven't been consumed because he still has a plan for us. We haven't been consumed because of his great love. And his compassions, they never fail. You see, sometimes what happens is we focus so much on what we've lost and in lament we can do that, that we forget to focus after we focus on what we've lost, on what we still have and on ways that God has blessed us. One of the ways I so appreciated Julia Bear when she was passing away with cancer was time and time and time again, though she would express the great losses that she felt, unable to have children, unable to grow old with Andy, bodily functions that no longer worked. She would talk about the ways that God's compassion and mercy showed up every day a walk she was able to take, a drive her and Andy enjoyed, friends who'd come to visit, even though they could only stay for 30 or 40 minutes because of the pain she was in. She was so glad to see them. And she would talk about the mercies, the compassion, the grace of God. They are new every morning. Every day when we wake up, we should be thankful for the breath we have, looking for the mercy that God will give us that very day because his faithfulness, to his people, is great. His faithfulness is based on his accomplished work on the cross in his Son, Jesus Christ. His faithfulness is based on what he's done for you in Christ. He is faithful. Mark Vrogop says this, You might think that lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise that we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. This space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. Think of as the transition between pain and promise. So Johnny Erickson Tata said in her bed a few weeks after trying to kill herself a number of times by thrashing her neck, she said, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. Show me how to live. So no. God has an unending mercy for you. And waiting is not a waste. Verse 24. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. To him, sit alone in silence. Let him, sorry, sit alone in silence. For the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There yet may be hope. We hate waiting in an instant Gratification culture. We don't want to wait for anything. We want everything now or even yesterday. We wish it was done before we got there. We like it when someone knows our order as we're walking in the door. We don't like to wait. And here Jeremiah says, The Lord, let him be your portion. Rest in him. Trust in him. Therefore you can wait. Because he's good to any who hope in him, to any who seek him. So wait quietly for God's salvation. Be silent and even bury your face in the dust. That's a sign of humility. Let God show his hope. You see, God will teach us as we wait. God will show us as as we wait. God says, wait on him. When I first had sciatica last year and ended up with three bouts of it, I just wanted God to take it away. And as I laid in pain on these various occasions, sometimes almost immobile, And prayed to god and said what like we've got this capital campaign what like the church is really busy like god like there were things that the lord taught me things that he showed me one of them was he said duane you don't live with pain very often this is a reminder of what some people live with every day that was a great reminder for me because sometimes through our pain we get to understand just a bit more the life of another when nicholas westerhoff wrote about the loss of his son in a tragic climbing accident, he said these words about his suffering. I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dry eyed I could not see. He said, I shall look at the world through tears because perhaps I shall see things that dry eyed I could not see. And lastly, suffering's not our end. God has an unending mercy. Waiting is not a waste. Sufferings not our end. Verse 31. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. He will never cast you off forever if you are his child. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Sufferings not our end. Even if it's what our life here physically ends with, when we close our eyes on this plane, we open them in another and we will see Jesus. We will see the one who suffered on our behalf who brings an end to all suffering that is the great news of the gospel his suffering has concisely defeated death and sin and satan and when there is no death when there is no sin where satan can't reign there is no suffering is that not great news sin is always the cause of suffering either the fallenness of the world our own sin or someone else's sin, will be in a place where sin will be vanquished, where it will be no more. And in that place where sin is vanquished, where death is cast out, where Satan is no longer able to be because he has been cast into the lake of burning sulfur, in that place, in that day, there will be an end to all suffering. It will be gone. We will experience God's unending love who will show compassion because his unfailing love is great. When Johnny Erickson Tata was recently reflecting on her ministry and life and how God has used it when she asked him to teach her to truly live, though she be wheelchair-bound as a quadriplegic, she wrote this, my wheelchair was the key to seeing all this happen, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, Glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I've been healed on the inside. Healed from my own self-centered want and wishes. So I don't know what you're going through today, but I know this. You can cry out to God and lament. He can hear you. You can cry out to God and lament because he has an unending mercy. As you cry out to him, wait on him, knowing that the suffering you now experience is not your end. It's not the final word. The final word will be joy. The final word will be love. The final final word will be hope because the final word will be God. Father, Son, and Spirit, we will see our Savior who rescues us from suffering. It is not our end. Will you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for today. We pray that we would be able to come to you in lament, knowing that as we cry out to you in pain, We can wait patiently for the hope that you offer. Thank you that your compassion, your mercy is new every morning. God, grant us that mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.